Great. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great, great to see you. And I'm pleased, Rachel, wherever you are, there you are, pleased that you slept well. Um, I, I lay there, but you know what? I was, I was too excited about the fry-up this morning that I couldn't get to sleep. It was, it was pretty good, wasn't it? Uh, hands up if you made the most of both the fry-up, the toast, and the cereal. Yeah, okay. There's a few of us in there. <laughs> awesome. But we're going to feed now tenuous link from the physical to the spiritual um, on God's word. Um, and just loved that time just now, just reminding ourselves, it's all about Jesus. This weekend, our lives, all about Jesus. Let him be the center. And um, for those of you who weren't in the room last night, um, I did say, not going to be kind of tapping into church vision as such in these sessions, just because I've just arrived. I did remind us that, you know, our big vision is Jesus, but instead we're thinking about church values. Um, what we're about as individual Christians, but also as a church, as a body. And this morning, the first part of this session, we're thinking about, are we willing to just let God, let King Jesus, Coronation Weekend, King Jesus guide us? And um, so that's where we're going the first half. Each of my sessions, they're going to be about half an hour. So we're going to have this sesh, spit for coffee, have a few questions and so on, then come back um, and then have a bit of worship after the second half of that session. Um, is anybody willing to read? I think it's going to come up on the screen as well, is it? Uh, Hebrews 13. Anybody want to read Hebrews 13 verses 15 to 22? Don't be shy. Yeah, Richard, thank you very much. Hebrews 13, verses 15 to 22. Um, if you've got your Bibles open, great to turn to that passage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 22. Hebrews 13, verses 15 to 22, is it? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We're sure that you have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us so that what is May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. Yeah, it's a brief letter, Hebrews. <laughs> I saw some of you smiling when it talked about submitting to, um, to your, your pastor in authority that their work might be a joy. I didn't put that. There's no subliminal messaging going on with the choice of this reading. Right, God's guidance. Okay, decisions, decisions, decisions. Um, today in the West, we have a huge amount of decisions to make on a daily basis, simply because we have so much choice. Huge amount of choice. Whenever you go into a superstore, there's like 350 cereal packets to choose from. Um, 
interestingly, researchers concluded that actually too much choice can cause stress and anxiety. Have I made the right choice? Um, and you'll all know something about what I'm talking about. Um, just taking TV, for example. Uh, blessed are those who don't own a TV, uh, because there are so many channels. Um, some of you grew up with fewer channels than I did, but I remember four or five channels growing up. And it was brilliant, because you knew that your favorite program, Blind Date, um, <laughs> you've been framed, whatever it was, it was going to be on on that day at that time each week. Whereas now, TV channels, just to name a few, BBC One, Two, Three, Four, Channel Four, Film Four, CNN, Dave, National Geographic, CBBS, ITV, Sky Sports, One, Two, Three, Eurosports, MTV. I could be here literally all day, um, and I'm just scratching the surface. Sometimes, I'm sure you're, you're like Ellie and I, we'll say, oh, we're going to watch a movie tonight. We get to Netflix, and we're scrolling through. It's been 45 minutes, and then we realize it's too late to watch a movie. And so you kind of park that for tomorrow, even it's the same thing then. We often prefer choices to be made for us, less stressful that way. And that's just in the small things. When it comes to the bigger things, we really want to know that we have made the right choice because there's some bad decisions that have been made. Um, the most extreme, I guess, filling the Hindenburg Zeppelin with hydrogen wasn't such a good idea. Uh, the city of Troy accepting the Trojan horse as a gift, <laughs> again, not such a great idea. We can make big, big catastrophic mistakes. And so we come back to that question. God, if you're there, can you guide me? I need you. I need your help with my life, with my decisions. That's the ballpark we're in. And the great news for us saints is that God definitely is there. And he definitely does guide. But it's a guidance that will always lead us closer to him never further away in our own self-interest. So in this session, I am going to share with you in a few moments um, three areas that he uses to guide us. Uh, we'll definitely be thinking about word and spirit, and then we'll kind of go into the, the church and saints as well. That's going to segue into the second half of our session this morning. But his guidance is always a means to an end. It's about discipleship. Yes, he's going to guide us. But it, it won't necessarily be to us building up you know, multi-million pound businesses or buying the house of our dreams. But it will always, 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 always be to becoming more like Jesus. That's what his guidance is about. And in our sense, the passage that Richard read for us, Hebrews 13, it isn't the obvious place to go uh, for God's guidance. But I love verse 21. It makes it clear, and this is where I want to start, that our God is the kind of God who certainly does equip his people to do his will. And I hope we're all in here, you Christians, you're putting your hand up and say, Lord, I want to do your will. That's my heart's desire. And hopefully this weekend is just going to help you in that. It's going to guide you in that. And the second thing that's really clear from verse 21, again, it all revolves around Jesus, quote, to whom be glory forever and ever. We've just been singing, Jesus, be my center, center of everything. And the rest of that kind of brief but fairly long letter, Hebrews, uh, makes it very clear. God is working his purposes out in every detail. He is in charge forever and ever, from eternity to eternity. And if that is the case, 
then every decision we make down here, every decision you make, be it us kind of seeking to tap more into his will, or even us actively thinking we can defy his will, all of those decisions are in fact a part of his master sovereign plan. Because everything, everything is known by him. That's the logic. So we sing that uh, Sunday school classic. He's got the whole world in his hands. And uh, that's actually really deep. It's a simple statement, but there's great depth. Uh, just talked about Netflix a, a second ago. Um, in 2019, apparently, 165 million hours of Netflix were watched daily across the globe. And you can only imagine that number probably doubling throughout COVID. 165 million hours are doubling. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with figures like that. Um, somewhere in cyberspace, all the records of who's watched what are there floating around. But more than that, this God whom we serve knows not just about the records, but he knows what's been going on in the heads of those who've been sitting behind their TV screens watching those things. Because he's an eternal being. He holds time in his hands. And this freaks us out. I love, I'm fascinated by time. The fact that he was before time began. The fact that he's at the end of time, beckoning us on towards the end of time. And yet he's not distant. Sometimes we think he's outside of time and therefore um, the moments that I live in the here and now, they don't mean that much to him. He's both bracketing time, but he's also appreciating time because he stepped into time. He knows what it is to count one, two, three elephant, four elephant, five elephant. He appreciates time each and every second. And Somehow, it's mind-blowing, but he's weaving all of the decisions we make into his overarching plan for history. What does this mean? Well, friends, this means that nothing is too small for him. The hairs on our head are numbered, just as the grain of sand is known by him. Nothing is too difficult for him. You think of parting the Red Sea walking on water, enabling the barren elderly woman to give birth. Nothing is too evil for him if the death of Jesus was part of his plan. What I'm trying to say as I begin this talk, and we're going to come into those three areas in a second, is that although trying to understand the detail of all this might send you into a frenzy, it shouldn't actually surprise us when we remember just how awesome our God is. Of course he's in charge. Of course he can expect to guide little old me, even though there's another almost 8 billion of little old me's walking around on this ball that's spinning we call earth. And with that being said, I want to say just one more obvious thing before we, before we think about these three areas, and that's this. God's plan... His overarching plan and his plan for your life is therefore bigger than your mistakes. It may well be that you've come along to this weekend and you found yourself in this room this morning and there's something just niggling away. It's kind of pulling you back into something that you've done in the past. You felt that you've blown it. There was a time that you felt connected, channeled, 
in step with, with, with God's spirit, what he wanted for your life. But then there was that thing. And you don't want to talk about it. You haven't shared it with anybody in church because it just brings you so much shame. And you kind of think, I blew it with God then. He's moved on to another more willing subject. And, and you kind of feel like you're just left drifting in limbo. Well, friends, I hope that with what I've already said, nothing's too slow, too long, too difficult, too small, too, too ugly, too used, too old, too young, too evil and twisted, to, to, to somehow be used by God for good, that, that that kind of thinking in your life now and over this weekend just begins to evaporate. You are not your past mistake. God wants to give you a new identity. And if you let him, even now in Ashburden, he wants to guide you on the most incredible journey. So three areas, word, spirit, and we'll call the last one saints. So firstly then, the word. Our God, you all know this, is a speaking God. He's committed to communication. Uh, the letter Hebrews, read chapter 13, um, it, it's given... Uh, to this Jewish group of Christians, Jews formerly uh, being called Hebrews. They knew their Old Testament very well. They lived in the narrative of their Old Testament, and they knew that God was committed to speaking. And so we think of our Old Testament, we think right at the beginning of Genesis, God, he spoke creation into being. And then we find him with his created beings Adam and Eve, walking in the call of the day, speaking with them. I think, uh, Paul, you prayed that prayer last night. Where are you? It's, it's lovely. You know, playing hide and seek almost with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, committed to speaking. And yet we also find right at the beginning of the Bible that it is possible to spurn God's voice and guidance in our lives. And that, as we know, is what happens with Adam and Eve, with the fall. After that, we find God speaking at various times and in various ways throughout the history of the Old Testament, through prophets, through thunder and lightning. We had a little bit of that yesterday, didn't we, on the way down? Uh, at Sinai, it results in the first written stuff in the Bible, and it's from the finger of God on tablets of stone. He's committed to communication. He even speaks from the lips of donkeys. Going back to the beginning of Hebrews, you'll know how the letter begins. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. There's a huge change in that verse. In the Old Testament, it's, it's almost like God's voice, his self-revelation, his guidance. It's a bit piecemeal. And yet in these last days, i.e. with Jesus... It all changes. No longer is it progressive bit by bit revelation in Jesus. There is full divine revelation. And this, friends, it should blow our minds. Because, again, it evokes this Eden imagery of, of God walking with his people, communicating with them. That Hebrews takes pains to show us that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is alive as the perfect high priest who lives forever. And with that in mind, with Jesus' incarnation, we see his utter commitment to communication. So he rocks up and he starts speaking with human lips in a way which all of us can relate to as human beings. 
It's our heart language. He speaks deeply into our heart. We can't ignore it or write off as inconceivable. Yet the author to the Hebrews is saying that because Jesus lives forever, he continues to speak that way to us now. Even though he's not here physically, he's alive and he speaks that powerfully into our hearts. He can get in there because he sent his spirit to live with us. Um, There's a, a picture I thought we could have on screen. If it comes up, this is a lady from my old church, Rosie, and uh, that's actually her in the picture, and that is a figure coming out of the Word. That's the Word of God there, embracing her. And hear me out. It's not just a nice picture that pulls on the heartstrings, lulling you in subjectively, asking you to part your intellect at the door. That picture can be true for each of us, factually and experientially. We meet the living word in the written word. And I and countless others have met with this living God, King Jesus, through the Bible, his word. So firstly then, if you want God's guidance, simple question, are you committed to reading your Bible? You're reading your Bible on a daily basis. You know God actually promises, he promises to speak to you through his word, the Bible. It's a promise. Now, obviously, I I believe that God can speak in loads of different ways. As mentioned just a moment ago, I said that he'd spoken through the lips of a donkey. He can speak however he wants, but he's promised to speak through his word And it would be silly, therefore, wouldn't it, for us to be praying over and over again on our knees in our bedrooms, in our lounge, wherever it is. Oh, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, please, Lord. Won't you speak to me? And yet all the time, we're not picking up our Bible. that, That would be bizarre when he's promised to speak to us through the Bible. It's why, in the words of the Puritans, I often, and humbly, I might add, I, quote, sue God for his promises. That's what the Puritans used to do. I love that. Suing God for his promises. And we claim promises like Isaiah 55. Many of you all know that passage. Lord, you promise that when your word goes out, it won't return to you empty. You promised that, Lord. So please, this weekend, Father, please, would it sprout to new life in loads of different ways. Amen. And did you notice the kind of stress uh, in our passage? I thought you you brought this out really well, Richard. Thank you. Uh, Verse 22, Hebrews 13. Brothers and sisters, I... Urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. They were used to writing really long letters back then. (laughs) So it's not that brief. Uh, Whether or not the author to the Hebrews knew that for 2,000 years his letter would be read devotionally as, as holy scripture, I don't know. But even so, there's that urgency that the readers bear these words of exhortation. In other words, he's saying, look, let these words sit with you. Let them move you. Let them shape you. This is kind of obvious, but it's rather disconcerting, especially if you've only signed up for half-hearted Christianity. 
Christianity a medium size, a Christianity where God might offer a bit of guidance but not say anything that will challenge you. The obvious thing is that when God speaks to us, he will always call us to pursue Christ's likeness. And friends, that is inevitably going to cause some sort of sacrifice. Just consider the words in verse 15 uh, through 16. It says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so I kind of want to warn you, you've got to be prepared if you want God to guide you. If you want God to speak to you and, and, and to really guide you, then be ready for him to say to your face, face to face, because that is how it's going to feel when he lays something on your heart. Greg, Rachel, Jonathan, whoever it is, give up that desire to gain the next best thing the next best gadget, the next best car, that dream of comfort in the here and now. Give it up for me. Store up treasures in heaven with me. Give those things away, Greg. Share that which you're trying to hoard. Share your home with those who'll take unappreciatively. Share your money with those in need but have never worked anywhere near as hard as you. And share me, Greg. Even when you're laughed at, when you're trying to do good, share me. That's sacrificial living, friends. And if you're open this weekend to God speaking to you and guiding you, be prepared because he might call you into that. And sadly, that's the reason why many of us at times, we kind of only open our Bibles a crack. (laughs) We don't open them fully. Because we're worried that he might actually lay something serious on our hearts. Uh, There was a great Bible teacher from Philadelphia, uh, James Montgomery Boyce. And um, he used to say, and this is probably more for those of you who've, who've studied theology, but he used to say the battle for the Bible's inerrancy had truly been won. And he was writing quite a few years ago. And he'd say, it's inerrant, it's infallible. There's no point wasting more time in theological colleges on a question that's been well and truly answered. The question he suggested, which was an ever-growing battlefield, was over the sufficiency of the Bible. Will it be enough for future generations? How does it compete with Netflix? (laughs) Is it enough for you? Uh, King Charles, later on today, he will be given a Bible... And as he's handed the Bible, he'll hear these words. Receive this book, the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. You believe that? You know, there used to be a street preacher, and he'd stand on the the corners of um, uh, kind of crossroads with a Bible resting on his foot like that. And as somebody unsuspectingly would walk along the road, as they passed him, he'd immediately go, Oh, it's alive! It's alive! (laughs) Friends, when you look at this book, do you truly believe that it's alive? Because it looks so much like any other book. 
Just look at it. You know, it's, it's just a book. Do you believe that this book has the power to drastically change your life? Simple question. I know I'm teaching some of you to suck eggs, but it's important that we ask these fundamental questions. That's the word. Moving on, let's, let's think about the spirit. Um, we know, I'm sure, very well that uh, God's spirit lives within our hearts. When we accept Christ, he sends the counselor, the advocate, his helper into our lives. We're born again. He's living within us. And we also know, as we're told in the Bible, that this spirit is working in the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Put simply, the spirit of God is at work in the world. And I think we kind of saw this in our reading. So back in verse 18, Hebrews 13, um, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Now, there's something about prayer that enables us to chime with God's purpose. And I think it's to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, although he's not mentioned here. When we pray, he ministers within, turning the words that we've spoken or struggled to speak into this heart cry, which he then presents to God the Father seated on the heavenly throne. The Spirit searches us. So that, in the words of Hebrews, we can have clear consciences on a certain matter as we ask that the decisions we make on that matter would be led and shaped by God, not just by ourselves. You see, sometimes, and I'm sure this isn't just me, (laughs) we can have a desire we're not entirely sure is driven by God. And we need to ask, firstly, that moral question. Uh, for example, you know, I've just come from the country. Uh, I have a strong desire to kind of accidentally shoot my neighbor's cockerel um, <laughs> because he wakes me up every single morning. Um, and, I, you know, I pretend to go and lay some Coke cans in the back of my garden and accidentally, you know, miss the Coke cans and hit the cockerel. Um, I know in my heart of hearts it would be a lie when I say it was an accident. And therefore, it doesn't pass the moral test. And I therefore assure you, the spirit, if you ask him, will not give you a a clear conscience there. Is it moral? But another way we're going to know whether something's moral or not is whether or not God's word tells us. And obviously, think of uh, not lying in the Ten Commandments. And you might think that we're kind of going full circle here because we've just been speaking about the word. But the thing is, we cannot separate the word from the Spirit. Uh, And the Bible tells us this. Ephesians tells us the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And back in Hebrews, earlier on in chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's there's two ways, to put simply, there's two ways of reading this book, the Bible. So you can either just put this book off the shelf and read it like any other book. And you're going to learn a lot. I mean, in Proverbs, you basically start a business by learning the lessons in Proverbs. Um, But there's loads in here. And you'll learn a lot about history as well. You might learn some stuff about yourself. But it's probably not going to change your life if you read it just like that, like, like you read a novel. However, if you read it prayerfully... 
it might change your life. Because when you read it prayerfully, you invite God, God the Spirit, to act as the surgeon, standing over you with a scalpel. It's not very pretty, but ensuring that these words in this book get right into your very heart and your very being and the core of what makes you you. Two ways of reading this book. Friends, that is how God wants you to read his word prayerfully unleashing his spirit to work in your life. And uh, before we move on, I also want to ask whether you're making yourself available to God by his spirit to speak to you in a thousand other ways as well. Are we expectant? Are we ready for him to show up and, um, and do something new this weekend in the church, in our life as, as individuals? Are we truly Truly, truly convinced of his power. I have a friend um, who I think some of you might have seen on screen. Um, Brother Paul, he's Gambian. Well, he's actually Sierra Leonean. He's working in the Gambia now. And um, it was one of the videos, I think he was in the background when I, when I sent through saying, hey, all saints from Sierra Leone. Anyway, um, he was training to be an imam um, within Islam. And he had a dream. And in his dream, he was sitting on a beach, and as he's sitting there gazing out to the sea, a, a, a man comes and sits next to him, and from a big brown paper bag, pulls out a big black book, and starts reading to him from the Ten Commandments. Paul wakes up, oh yeah, I vaguely remember that dream. Anyway, later on in his day, he goes and sits by the beach, and as he's sitting there on the beach looking out over the sea, he's thinking, oh, deja vu, I... Yeah. Oh, oh this, is, this is similar to that dream that I had last night. This is, this is the exact beach. And as he's thinking these thoughts, a man comes and sits down next to him and uh, takes out a big brown paper bag and from the big brown paper bag takes out a big black book and starts reading from the Ten Commandments. And Paul says, how do you know? How do you know my dream? I haven't told anybody my dream. How do you know this? And the man says, do you want to know who all these words are about in this book? He says, they're all about Jesus. Now, anyway, that led to Paul's conversion, a huge link in his chain. And this guy, he is an absolute animal for Jesus now, especially in an Islamic context, because he knows his Quran so well. He's able to show them Jesus, Isa, mentioned more time than Muhammad in the Quran. He's amazing. He's completely sold out for Jesus. And I just wonder, do you pray about your dreams? Do we pray about our dreams as much as we should? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. might be that during this weekend, not only do we need to pray that we're going to sleep and that we're going to dream, but we just need to take ourselves off, just have a moment of quiet ourselves, and we just need to, to honestly come before God and just pray, you know, God, I'm sorry. I recognize that I've been trying to kind of force myself into your will to, to, to be holy all in my own strength. And I now see where that's failing. Because you're the only one who has the power to, to clean me, to change me. And so once again, God, by your spirit, renew my desire to fight. Renew my my belief that you can overcome the temptations I find within.
have a look at this. It's a little, little boxing glove. Some of you saw me bring in a boxing glove in. You're like, ooh, what are you going to do here? Um, on its own, this, this boxing glove, I mean, it doesn't do much damage. It's, it's soft and cuddly. You might, might use it as a cushion. You know, it's, it's not much to worry about. However, when you put the fist of a heavyweight champion inside it, all of a sudden, it becomes a weapon of great power. Right, Jonathan, we're going to test this out. Come on, stand. No, no, head, man, head. <laughs> Joshua, you can use these for tomorrow's exercise if you want. But we're a bit like that. On our own, without the spirit living within us, our flesh is so prone to weakness, we'll just give in every time. We're walkovers. However, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, all of a sudden we have the power to be able to say no to sin. And it's worth just, just looking at you, looking to the person next to you, and just tapping them on the shoulder and saying, do you realize how powerful you are? Because the Spirit of God lives within you. Now, I know that's a bit cringe. I know it's a bit cringe. This is kind of getting into like a motivational talk. And some of you are like, you're powerful, sister. You're powerful, brother. But it's true. It's true. If you want to stop the potty mouth, if you want to stop watching porn or stop spending money with too much ease, or even if you want to start doing something you know you should, but it always takes too much effort, none of those things are insurmountable when you know that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. That's the power we're thinking. Power of the word, power of the spirit. And then third area of guidance, just before we segue into coffee. The saints. The saints. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You know, it's not just reserved for those people who have, have died and, and they've got long names and you know, they've been made a saint. You're a saint if you love Jesus. The Bible calls you a saint. And the emphasis on growth in the Bible is always corporate. We're called as a body, a family, a church, not as lone ranger individuals. And therefore, we can expect that God will guide and shape us as a church, as a community of saints. And he's going to do this in various ways. Firstly, if you're struggling with a hard decision you've been praying about, did you see that lesson in our passage about seeking your pastor's advice? Um, verse 17 have confidence in your leaders and submit to those in authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. And with due integrity, I'd want to always say, look, ask, ask your pastor, but also remember that they are human just like you. And Hebrews makes it so clear that there is just one great high priest, Jesus and he will never let you down. I might let you down. I won't plan to, but I might do. Jesus never will. Never. And then there's the wider church. And believe me, we see things in one another that we cannot always see in ourselves. So as I've already said, maybe I'm just tempted to see my past failure or my own shyness distorts my ability to see the gifts of hospitality or, or, or leading in worship that the, the Lord's given me. And so, you see, I need your voice just as you need my voice to ask that question. I've just been standing next to you here and you sing. You've got a beautiful voice. Have you ever thought about joining the choir or the, the worship band before? I think God, God's really gifted you in that area. 
God grows his church through such means and prompts. And he also protects his church through the saints as well. Our collective voices can be great correctives to distorted individual thinking, um, especially with moral decisions. So, so I'm using quite a, a far-out example here, but um, somebody comes and says, I'm thinking of divorcing my husband. And you say, why? Um, because he's not very holy. He doesn't like the worship music I like, and there's another chap at church who ticks all those boxes whom I'd be much more compatible with. Now, your sister who's asked the why question, she's able to correct that distorted thinking, and she might respond, Look, I, I, I get you're going through a hard patch, but I'm sorry, your thinking is just plain wrong. You've got to love your husband more and pray for him. Now, that might not be what that person wants to hear, the Bible could have told her, but if she hasn't read the Bible, then she's hearing God's guidance from you, the church. You realize how powerful and important the church is in God's overarching plan? And likewise, the Council of Saints can save us from not necessarily immoral decisions, but, but, but kind of crazy <laughs> decisions that make no sense. So sometimes, I'm sure it's not me again, I'm sure it's many of us, but Common sense isn't our strongest forte, especially when we get excited. So somebody's just become a Christian, and then they come to church, and it's like the second time they've ever come to church, and they're so pumped up, they're so excited, they get there, and they say, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my house to church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just see what the, Lord, what the Lord does. It's just that excitement. And you, you don't necessarily want to kind of quench that excitement, but you might say, whoa, okay, let's just put the brakes on. Uh, what about your three children? <laughs> what about their schooling? How are you going to feed them? You know, Just pause, just pause. You know, God's got time, God's got time. Have you, friends, opened yourself up to the saints in this room and the saints that couldn't be with us who are still back in Peckham? Have you truly opened yourself up to them? And the power inherent in the church. Anyway, there we have it. That, that's the first session. Three ways God guides us. And I do um, have a question or two, um, which over coffee, we're going to have a break for coffee now. Are we having a song and then coffee or just going straight into coffee? Going straight into coffee. Um, okay, so if you manage to you know, grab a coffee or a tea or whatever you want, and um, you're in a group or just with your neighbor, a few questions flowing off the back of this, this first part of the session. What would help us as a church to hold the Bible in higher esteem? Good question to think about. What would help us as a church to hold the Bible in higher esteem? And by the way, this isn't any prejudgment from me. I'm just asking questions that flow out of the session. Uh, how can I live more in the power of the Spirit? How can I live more in the power of the Spirit? And then uh, final question. How as a church might we be relying too much on our own strength? Yeah? So you're free. Come back in. What? 20, 20 minutes, is that good? Yeah, 20 minutes. Coffee, tea, cold if you don't like hot. Um, bless you. You're free. Oh.